0: The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, beginning with verse 32. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, beginning with verse 32, and it reads, Then there were also two other criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to a place called Calvary, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, and they cast the lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. The inscription was also written above his head, in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who hung blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. But the others, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our own deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Surely I say unto you, Today you will be with me in paradise.
1: Have you ever thought about how much we talk in life? Uh, Have you ever thought about how much talking we do in life? You know, somebody
0: once estimated that the average person in one week will speak enough words to fill a book more than 500 pages. That's a lot of talking. People talk a lot. We talk on our phones, we talk in conversation, we talk at our work, we talk uh, at church. Talking is a common thing, thing that we do. And some of us, and I think that you would agree, talk more than others, don't we? How many has ever met somebody that they're very good at the skill of talking? And some people, just to talk, they talk just because they want to hear themselves. You know, they, they just talk because they want to hear themselves. And then there are others who will, they don't talk much. As a matter of fact, these people, even though they don't talk much, when they do talk, it commands respect. Have you ever met somebody like that? But have you ever noticed that the final words of a person's life seem to command a little extra respect no matter how much that they have talked in life? That the words of a dying person, uh, the words of somebody who is getting ready to pass from this life to the next life, their words seem to have a little bit more extra weight than what they would have had in their lifetime. The last words of people are either filled with hate or they're either filled with despair. And I want you to ponder with me, just ponder with me, just for a few moments, as I read to you some last words from some notable people throughout history. For instance, Mother Teresa on her deathbed in September the 5th, 1997. The last words of Mother Teresa was this, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Winston Churchill, that great statesman, the man whose vision and battle cry was to never give up. On January 25th, 24th, excuse me, 1965, Winston Churchill said it like this, I am convinced that there is no hope. That was his last words. D.L. Moody, that great American evangelist, on December the 22nd, 18 and 99, that great evangelist D.L. Moody said on his deathbed before he passed, and I quote, I see the earth receding, and heaven is opening, and God is calling me. What about Voltaire? Have you ever heard of Voltaire? Voltaire was that 18th century philosopher, a great atheist who spoke against the church. On his deathbed, he said, and I quote, I am abandoned by God and man. I shall go to hell, O Christ, O Jesus Christ. What about John Wesley? John Wesley, that great revivalist who started the great church of the Methodist Church. On his deathbed on March the 2nd, 1791, John Wesley quoted these words before he passed on The best. Of all is this. God is with us. Farewell. Farewell. Can somebody say amen? What about Richard Baxter? Richard Baxter, you may not have heard him, but Richard Baxter is that 17th century Puritan theologian. He said it like this on his deathbed, one of my favorite. He said, I have pain, but I have peace. I have peace. John Knox, that Scottish minister, that That theologian who is a great reformer in the Presbyterian Church on November the 24th, 1572, he said this before he died, Live in Christ, die in Christ, and the flesh need no fear death. Charles Wesley, the brother of that great revivalist, John Wesley, who wrote more than 4,000 hymns for the church, the co-founder of Methodism, said, when he died, he said, I shall be satisfied with thy likeness. Satisfied. Satisfied. I thought I would throw this in. I don't know whether you think it's interesting, but to me, I thought it was interesting. Steve Jobs. (laughs) Steve Jobs is the co-founder of Apple. and Steve died October the 5th, 2011, and On his deathbed, Steve
1: Jobs said this, Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I don't know what Steve saw. It's up for your interpretation.
0: Have you ever thought about the Bible? I mean, there are lots of last words in the Bible. For instance, Judas Iscariot. The very last words that Judas Iscariot ever said before he went and hung himself, was this, and I quote, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. That was his last words. What about that great, great preacher by the name of Stephen in the book of Acts? As Paul or Saul was standing there watching him being martyred, Stephen looked up, saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father, and his last words was this, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Now, I can go on, ladies and gentlemen. I can read you notable people throughout history, and I can read more people in the Bible who their last words hold a significant amount of weight. And the last words of of people, they they seem to hold significant weight. I, I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but I seem to think that their last words, not only their last words, but you know, there are other times in life that your your words hold significant weight. But if there was a time that we could pinpoint the significance of somebody's words, I think it probably should be their final moments on this earth. And I could read to you many, many more, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to do that because I believe you got the point this morning that the words of a dying person. The last words of a person who is dying, they hold great value and great weight. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we're approaching Easter. And in this season, we remember not only His resurrection, but we remember His death. And there are times that we want to skip The suffering, and we want to skip the death, and we want to celebrate and hoop and holler over the resurrection. But ladies and gentlemen, there would never be a resurrection unless there is a death. And let us be reminded this morning that the cross of Jesus is still the centerpiece of Christianity, His death and His suffering. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever tell us to remember His resurrection. It tells us over and over to remember his death. And this morning let us remember, yes, his resurrection is important, but let us ponder on the next few Sundays. Let us ponder on the very words that Jesus said as he was hanging between earth and heaven. Let us remember the words of Jesus as he pulls his body up from that Roman cross to grasp for air. Let us remember his dying words. Let us remember the words of that man where the blood and water flowed from his side. Let us remember his words. Because I believe his words have significant weight. Ladies and gentlemen, what is our Savior thinking about when he is dying? I've been at the bedside of many people. And I have prayed many prayers and I've held many people as I have pastored them, baptized their uh, children and dedicated their babies and somehow they've passed on because of a terrible disease and I've sat there and I've wondered why this is happening, but I I listen closely because I want to hear what they have to say before they pass on. Have you ever ever been there? Have you? Have you ever been there holding somebody and comforting somebody when they're getting ready to pass on to the next life? Their words ring in your ears over and over and over. It echoes in your heart. And I want to know what is the master thinking while he was dying? What was his thoughts as he's hanging on that Roman cross? Was he thinking about paradise? Was he thinking about you and I? What was he thinking about? Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, that his last words really do reflect his values? His last words really do reflect his heart. His last words really do tell us what's most important in life. You see, listen to this preacher this morning. In his death, I truly believe that Jesus the Christ reveals his heart. In His agony, He reveals His thoughts. In His suffering, He reveals to us what's most important to Him. And as we approach these sayings of Jesus, as we approach Jesus on the cross, I want you to listen to me, and I want you to listen to the Scriptures this morning. And I want you to ease into the story. And I want you to take your ear. And I want you to listen to the man who's dying on the cross. And I want you to listen to his final words. I want you to look at him as he's bloody and bruised and beaten. Look at that dying man as his beard is plucked from his face. Look at that dying man as water and blood flows from his side. Look at that man as he tries his very best to ease his own pain and raises himself up on an old
1: Roman cross. Look at him. Look at the people nearby as his mother is weeping.
0: Look at him as his disciple John, who laid his head on his breast, is weeping and comforting his mother. I want you to imagine, what is this man thinking? What is going through his mind? What is his thoughts? What is his values? I know that I've been with him for three and a half years. I've seen him raise the dead and heal the sick. I've seen him feed the multitude, but now this man is dying.
1: If I was there, I would have to lean in closely to listen to what this man has to say.
0: If you lean in closely, the very first thing this man says in verse 34 of our text, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Oh, isn't that a paradox? Doesn't that sound crazy? Why would you want to pray in the midst of your pain?
1: Why would you want to forgive your offenders when they have nailed you to a tree? Yet this man demonstrates to you and
0: I that the gospel is more than words. The gospel has to be lived out. He stood on the Judean hillside in Matthew chapter 5 and said, Love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Jesus, as He is dying, He is telling you and I that the gospel is more than a word. Gospel is more than just saying something. The gospel must be lived out. The gospel is action. Did you hear me? Jesus the Christ is not just saying, Love your enemies and pray for your enemies. Jesus the Christ is demonstrating to us on that Roman cross that it is more than words. I am demonstrating to you that in my darkest
1: hour, in my darkest pain, you ought to pray for your enemies. I want you to notice. That as he's dying on the cross
0: he couldn't pray for the sick his hands was nailed to the cross
1: he couldn't walk on the water his feet was nailed to the cross he couldn't preach to the multitude his body was hanging on a cross. let me ask you something what do you do
0: when your hands Can no longer touch the sick? What do you do when your feet can no longer touch the dusty roads of Nazareth? What do you do when your lips can no longer bring instruction? And it's difficult to even breathe. What do you do? Our Lord teaches us that if I can't touch, I can't touch you to heal you. Our Lord teaches us that if I can't walk to get to you, our Lord teaches us that if I can't bring instruction to you by my very mouth, then the only thing I know to do is pray. Oh, did, you, did you see what I said? He prayed. Because the gospel is more than words, the gospel must be lived out. Jesus said in Matthew 6, When you pray, you ought to say, Our Father. And yet when He's dying on the cross, Jesus refers to the true God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, to His Father. He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they
1: are doing. Let me ask you this question. Who did He pray for? Who did he pray for? As he's hanging on the cross, who did he pray for? Father,
0: forgive them. Who is them? Is it Judas? Judas, you remember Judas, the one who betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Or or, or maybe he's praying for the Jewish leaders. You know, those Jewish leaders was a thorn in his side, always
1: oppressing him. Pilate. Did he pray for Pilate? You know who Pilate is. Pilate
0: is the one that condemned him to death. Who was he praying for? Was he praying for the crowd? The onlookers who were watching him die? Was he praying for the crowd who was saying to him, If you are the Son of God, come down off of there and save yourself. Who was he praying for? Was he praying for the soldiers? Who ripped the beard out of his face and whipped him with a cow of nine tails on his back? Who was he praying for? Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Who are you talking about, Lord? Oh, Lord, you've got many oppressors. Lord, you've got many enemies. Are you praying for one or are you praying for them all? Who are you praying for, Lord? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They do not know what they do. It's interesting to me, and I am not a Greek theologian, although I've taken four semesters of Greek. It's still Greek to me. Can I hear an amen? And you know, I I mean, I I had to take all that in seminary, and thank God I made it through. Can somebody say praise the Lord? And Brother Stallings back here was a a Methodist pastor for, for many years, so he knows what I'm talking about. So it's still Greek to me, but I do know a little something about Greek. I'm smart enough not to get up here and pronounce all the words to make myself look like an idiot. But I'm just going to tell you what this word means. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Do you know the word do there? In the Greek, if you parse it, is in the indicative form, which states this, it was an ongoing process. In other words, when he was hanging on the cross and he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. The actual rendering of that is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing, but not just what they are doing, but it's progressive They don't know what they do. They don't know what they are doing. In other words, he is talking about you. And he's talking about I for the future generations to come. He said, I am not only praying for Judas, not only am I praying for the religious leaders and Pilate and the crowd and the onlookers and the soldiers. Oh, yes, I'm praying for them, but My prayer from the cross is not only my enemies, but I'm also praying for those who will come after them for they don't know what they do. And I want to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, that Jesus is the great high priest and He still makes intercession for His church. He was praying for you. Oh, hallelujah. He didn't just pray for Judas. He prayed for you. He prayed for every generation to ever come. He said, I'm praying for them because they are born in ignorance and sin. They are born in depravity. They, the God of this world has blinded their eyes and they don't know what they are doing. But Father, I am praying for their souls. But God demonstrated His own love to us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Woo, hallelujah. Somebody help this preacher preach. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we are saved from the wrath through His name. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8.
1: He prayed for us all. Your kids this morning... Say, Pastor, I feel guilty because I haven't prayed enough
0: for them. I should be praying for you, Pastor, but I got busy this week. I should be praying for the church, but kind of got tied up. I want to let you know it's good to pray, but if you forget to pray, I'm reminded that somebody ought to pray. Somebody already prayed for me 2,017 years ago. His name is Jesus and He prayed from the cross. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. He prayed from the cross. He not only prayed for those
1: around Him, He prayed for us. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing.
0: Not only do they know, they don't know what they're doing, but Future generations, they don't even know what they're doing. Let me ask you something. What did they not know? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're
1: doing. What did they not know? Judas, you didn't know that you betrayed the God of the universe. You didn't really know it, Judas.
0: Pilate, you really didn't know that the man that you was condemning to death is more than a Nazarene man from the womb of the Virgin Mary. No, no, no. He's more than that. He is the Redeemer, the Master, the Savior, the Creator of heaven and earth. The crowd, when they cried, give us Barabbas, they didn't know that they was condemning the Son of God to death.
1: When they spit upon him, whipped him with a cat and nine tails, they didn't know that he was the solution to the problem of humanity. Oh, the soldiers hung him and hung him high. They didn't know that
0: his very death would bring life. Listen to this preacher this morning. Those onlookers who blaspheme His name, those onlookers who shook their finger and said, if you are the Christ, come down off of that cross. Those onlookers who blasphemed Him, they didn't know that that one man would have millions and millions who would never blaspheme His name, but that would hail Him as King of kings and the Lord of lords.
1: Hallelujah. They didn't know. And yet today, there are many who don't know. Did you hear me? There are many today, they don't know. There are still people in bondage today, and they don't
0: know that they can be free. There are people in despair this morning, and and they don't know that they they could have a better life. There are those this morning that's shooting up another drug and living and, and giving up on life. They don't know that Jesus is a bondage breaker and a way maker and a mind regulator. They don't know. Their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. There are those who are sick. Sick in heart sick in body, and they don't know that He is the great physician. There are those who are lost and on their way to a devil's hell, and they are yet to know that He is the Redeemer and Savior of all mankind. Ladies and gentlemen, He prayed for them. He prayed for the sins of omission, and He prayed for the sins of commission. Those things that you deliberately did, and the things that you did that you had no idea that you did that was sinful.
1: Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh, you remember the words of Paul. 2 Corinthians 4, he said, But even if our gospel
0: is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe Least the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Satan has blinded the hearts of people. That is why I'm asking you, listen to this preacher, listen to me. I'm asking you to be intentional about something. I'm asking you to invite somebody to church. I'm asking you to get a card, the Easter card, and invite somebody to Easter on April the 16th at 2 o'clock. I am asking you to be intentional about it. I'm asking you to make sure it's on your priority list because the gospel will never go forth unless it has legs to go forth and a mouth to speak it. I'm asking you to pick up the card, pick up the word, and invite somebody to the house of God on Easter and let's fill this church up. Did you hear me, ladies and gentlemen? I'm asking you to be intentional about it because the God of this world has blinded the hearts of people. They don't know they're lost. And I'm asking you to be a missionary. I'm asking you to be a preacher. I'm asking you to be an evangelist. I'm asking you to take the word of God to a lost and dying world. Quit sitting sour and soaking on your church pew. And get up. Go tell somebody. Invite somebody. Oh, but pastor, I've invited them yet. They haven't yet come. Invite again. Because Christ never gave up on you. And don't you dare give up on the human race. Invite somebody. Last Sunday night, we did a bow night Beyond our walls. I appreciate the ones that did come. We gave out 30 gift cards. And we gave out these cards with the gift cards. And our goal was... After I preached on evangelism, I preached on outreach, how to do it. And you were there last Sunday night. I took 20 minutes and told you a leadership or, or an evangelistic message on outreach and how to do it. I gave 30 families cards, gift cards, with a card invited them to Easter. And I sent you through the city and I asked you to go randomly do acts of kindness. Why? Because it's non-threatening. It opens people's hearts to the gospel. Sister Judy, stand up. Larry, stand up. Sent me a text message this week and said they went into the store, went into a restaurant. They randomly prayed about it, went in there and bought somebody's meal with a card, invited them. And is this true? The woman started crying in the restaurant and said, What church do you go to? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, the harvest is ready and we are looking for workers. We are looking for somebody to go on the mission field and take the gospel. I am asking you. And there are other stories that I got text messages on. But for the sake of time, I can't read them all to you. But I want to let you know that you need to plant the seed. Take the gospel. Invite somebody. You now why? Why do I need to do it? Because they don't know. They don't know they're lost. They don't know how bad they are. They don't know that eternity is approaching them. They don't know that if they do not accept Christ, repent of their sin, there is a devil's hell awaiting for them. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, they don't know. How can they hear without a preacher? Go forth. Tell the message. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul
0: said it like this. He said, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. He said, for if they
1: had known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know, did they? If they would have known, they would
0: have never crucified Him. If they would have known that He was the Savior, Redeemer of all mankind, they would have never done it. The God of this world has blinded
1: their hearts. It's interesting to me, in closing, as He's hanging on the cross, He never one time said, Father, forgive me. He didn't pray for himself. He didn't need forgiveness. He is the
0: only Son of God, spotless Lamb of God, before the foundation of the world. That man had never sinned. There was no need for him to pray for himself.
1: He never said, Father, forgive me. He never said, Father, deliver me. Oh, isn't that a paradox? When you and I get in hard situations and we have to carry our cross, what do we pray? Deliver me, Lord. Because we don't like pain, do we? You don't like to be uncomfortable.
0: I mean, God forbid we would have to stretch ourselves to give more and go to church more. And I mean, God forbid that the preacher would ask us to do a little bit more. Because we don't want to be uncomfortable. We want to be delivered, don't we? Sometimes
1: God's plan is not deliverance. Sometimes God's plan is discipline. He didn't say, deliver me, Lord. He's telling you
0: that life's greatest battles produces the greatest victory. If He was delivered from the cross, there would be no resurrection, and thus, death, hell, and the grave would not be conquered. He tells us He never prayed for deliverance because life's greatest blessings comes through the greatest trials of your life.
1: He never said, Father, avenge me. Never said, I hope those dirty blasphemers, I hope they die and rot to hell. Never said, Father, send angels to destroy these blasphemers. Deliver me. See, ladies and gentlemen, how you know it, it Boggles my mind. How? How can God die on a cross?
0: I mean, if he dies on the cross, does that mean humans have control over God because we can kill God? I mean, the greatest mystery has boggled the minds of theologians that God
1: would die on a cross. God. That's why Muslims don't like us. That's why Jews will never accept us. God can't die. God is not a person. See, they never—they killed his humanity. They never killed his divinity he laid down his humanity to prove to the world this is how much I love you. See? He was the greatest man in history. This man who I love deeply and you love deeply, he had no servants. There was nobody there to wipe the blood as it fell from his body. Nobody fed him grapes, waved palm branches at him. He had no degree, and yet they called him teacher. He had no medicine, and yet some of them called him a healer. He had no army and Yet, there were kings who feared him. He had no military victories. And yet, I think I'd be safe to say he has conquered the world. He committed no crime and they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb. Ladies and gentlemen, he lives,
0: he lives, he lives. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Is there anybody in the building this morning that can just help the preacher? Thank you. Wave your hand and say, I know He lives because I was sick and He healed me. I know He lives. I was in despair and He raised me up. I know He lives. Because my life is changed forever. Let me ask you something. Has God changed your life? I mean, are you converted? Are you born again? Is the Holy Spirit living in your life? Is there a desire to serve God? Is there a hunger to serve God? Have you devoted yourself to Christ? Have you given your all to Christ? Oh, let me ask you something. We come to church and we say, did you like
1: church? And I do that. But I want to say, did God like church this morning? What did God think about church? What does God think about you? The Holy Spirit desires all of you. Your body, your soul, and your spirit. Is there a total
0: submission to the Savior of the world? Father, Father. He teaches us that in your pain you need to pray. He teaches us that He didn't
1: just think about those who were beside the cross or below the cross. He prayed for the world. Listen closely. the words of a dying man. Father, forgive him. I don't know. Father, we thank you for your word today.